we have a special speaker today. His name is Neil Hubbard. And I love to hear this guy preach. And I thought that when that video was over, he would be at the pulpit. But I, I, I am assuming that he wanted an introduction. And so that's why I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit late coming up today. I, I don't usually wait on one myself, but, but I think that, (laughs) I think that it's, that's not a bad thing though, Neil. I think that's probably a good thing. Give me an opportunity to brag on you. I appreciate this guy. I'll tell you, he, he is pulling double duty today. Lead worship this morning. He's preaching this morning. He's leading worship tonight. He's preaching tonight in the venue. And you say, why are you making him do that? Because he will. And. Sure does make a day a lot easier on me and Kyle. <laughs> no, not really. It just turned out that way. But I, I love I love when he preaches, and I appreciate his ministry so much. And, and uh, I want you, if you will, to just make him welcome to the pulpit. This is Pastor Neil Hubbard. Thank you for those kind words. I was standing back there, and I, I was like, I, if he has the mic, then I guess he's going to walk back up there because I don't have the mic. And so it just turned out that way, but thank you. Thank you for that. I know what to do next time. Just let you have the mic. Well, it's a pleasure to get to be back with you today. I missed you last week, um, but <clears throat> we had a serious time uh, where I was last week in Harrison preaching. I did a, a little youth uh, revival, I guess you could call it. We had nine kids get filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit for the first time. Amen. Give them a hand. We had a, we had a girl that, that got delivered from cutting herself um, that the Lord specifically told me in a service one night. I said, there's, a, there's somebody here, and you're cutting yourself, and you are depressed, and you're down. And I said, the Lord's going to deliver you tonight. And she came forward, and God touched her life. So this happened, probably, I think that was uh, Saturday night. And Sunday morning, she got up and testified to the church that the Lord had delivered her from cutting. And the next day, I got a a text message from one of the youth leaders there in the church. And they said that this girl was going to get up in her cafeteria and preach the gospel on Monday and share with her friends how God has delivered her from cutting. So not only did she do that Monday, but apparently she's been doing it all week to the point, amen, to the point where she's starting to get in trouble uh, because she's standing up and she's preaching the gospel in her cafeteria. And so apparently the, the principal got on to her or whatever. So she sent out this mass Facebook thing said, Hey, I know all of you heard today. I got in trouble for preaching and, but I just want you to know that it's okay. I'm not upset. I knew this kind of stuff would happen. And, uh, so if you want to hear more, I'll be out in the courtyard preaching come next week. So, <laughs> Hey, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, all it takes is one person to get on fire with the fire of the Holy Ghost, and you'll have church, you'll have revival. And uh, I'm t- so I-, I tell you that just to tell you, God is still moving. The Holy Spirit is still real. He still saves. He still empowers even young people to preach the gospel. Amen. Well, it's a pleasure to have my mom and dad with me today. Always a pleasure to get to have them uh, up here and trying to talk them into moving on up here. Well, (laughs) so send your tithe text. I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) 
I'm just kidding. Let's get into this word today. Uh, you'll notice that I, I'm a little bit under the weather. I've been coughing and, and hacking. So if I get to coughing in this, just just give the Lord a wave offering when I, when I start coughing. All right. You know what a wave offering is? Just get your handkerchiefs out and wave them like this. All right. Well, <laughs> we better get started before I just go off on somewhere on an ADD rant. Here we go. The title of my message today is this. It's who dat? Who dat? That's the title of my message. Anybody ever heard the, the phrase who dat? Oh, yeah. Who dat? Well, what do you mean by who dat? Who dat is a chant that originated in New Orleans in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. It became a familiar joke during World War II. And in the late 1960s and early 70s, it morphed into a chant for football fans cheering for their favorite teams. After the New Orleans Saints won the NFL championship game in 2010s, fans from all over New Orleans started a Mardi Gras style chant with modified lyrics in reference to the Saints advancing to the Super Bowl. In recent years, the phrase who dat nation has become popular a term for the entire community of Saints fans. You'll hear them saying who dat they're going to beat them Saints. Any Saints fans in the house today? Don't let Brian see you. All right, there's one. Who that they are going to beat them saints? Now, I'm just going to tell you, any good preacher will tell you this. Whenever you hear a phrase or something that kind of sticks in your mind, the first thing that you think about if you're a preacher is like, man, that's a good title for a message right there. You know what I'm talking about. You guys know what I'm saying. Something that's catchy, something that when you hear it, you're like, man, people will remember that. So that's why I'm titling my message today, Who that? Now, for all of you sophisticated people and, and you intellectual people from, intellectual, did I just, woo, thank you, Lord, for letting me catch that one. Intellectual people today, I'm going to break this down for you. So what who that really means is who is that? So just so you know, just so you're clear, all I'm saying is who is that? But for my own sake and, and for your sake, so you'll remember this message about five minutes after you leave today. It's called Who Dat. All right. Who Dat is just the way they say it down in Louisiana, down in New Orleans. All right. Where they suck the head off them dead crawfish. You know what I'm saying. So for the time of my consideration this morning, I am overwhelmed with the implications of Who Dat. The spiritual implications of Who Dat. And I'm, I'm just going to tell you, I'm going back to basics today in this message. I'm just going to preach about Jesus today. Is that all right? I'm going to preach about Jesus. So for my opening text, I would like you to turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8, verse 27. Chapter 8, 27. While you're flipping there, I would just like to say a special thank you uh, to Christina Clark and the worship team last week for for filling in for me. I know they did a great job and, and, uh, it's always, uh, it's always a good thing when you can leave and not be stressed out that everything's going to crash around you. But we got some talented musicians. We got some talented singers. And so I want to publicly thank them for doing that. Matthew chapter eight, verse 27. This is what it says. But the men marveled saying, what manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? What manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? You know what they were really saying right there is they were saying to borrow a phrase from our neighbors to the south. They're saying, who that? Who that? Who that man that even the winds and the seas obey what he says? 
They are completely obedient to his command. And I'm going to tell you this morning that who that or who is that is one of the most important questions you will ever contemplate when asking about Jesus. Who is Jesus? One day he looked at his disciples and he asked them the ultimate question. He said, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And that is the question that everyone who follows Jesus Christ must answer. It is the question. It is the question. And if you get the answer wrong, you will fail across the board. If you get the question wrong, if you answer the the question wrong about who is Jesus, you will fail the entire course. Now, there are many books that answer the question, or excuse me, there are not many books that answer the question except the book. You can cruise on over to your favorite Christian bookstore and find lots of information and various kinds of ways to grow your church and to help with your Christian life and leadership principles, divine healing, how to witness spiritual warfare, marriage, and and how to get wealthy. And then there are the ologies. You got pneumatology, archaeology, theology, eschatology, and psychology, and understand there is a place for all of that. But if we fail the simple question of who is Jesus, then all of that other knowledge doesn't mean anything. Who is Jesus? Here at Trinity Fellowship, we have summarized our purpose for existing as a church into five categories. Fellowship, ministry, discipleship, evangelism, and worship. Each one is important. But if we fail to answer the question, who is Jesus Christ, then we fail at everything. So I ask the question to you today. Who do you say that he is? Who do you say that Jesus is? Who is Jesus? Let me point out something. You notice that we don't ask the question, who was Jesus? We don't ask the question, who was Jesus? Now, we have to ask the question, who was Muhammad or who was Buddha or who was Krishna? But let me tell you something. Who is Jesus is because he, on the third day after he had been crucified, he got up and walked on out of that tomb. And now he's alive and well, sitting on the right hand of God, ever interceding on your behalf. Amen. So it's present tense because he is alive and he is well and he is ever powerful. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. So my only purpose today is to answer the question as best as my frail human ability will allow me. And I want to lift him up throughout this message today. He said, if I be lifted up, I will what? I will draw all men and women unto me. And I believe sometimes our faith lags and we have a hard time with the concept of you're telling me all we have to do is lift Jesus up and he'll draw all men into himself. That means that we don't have to spend all of our time coming up with programs and ways to get people to church. If we will simply lift him up, he's going to draw everybody to himself. But if Jesus is not lifted up, we fell across the board. I want to read to you a quote by Leonard Sweet from his book. The Jesus Manifesto, this is what he says. The Lord Jesus Christ is far beyond what most of us could ever dream or imagine. His greatness, his beauty, and his splendor are unknown to many Christians today. Christians have made the gospel about so many things, things other than Christ. But Jesus Christ is the gravitational pull that brings everything together and gives it meaning. Without him, all things lose their value. They are but detached pieces floating around in space. That includes your life. 
What manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Let's pray before we get into this. Father, your presence is already in this place. Lord, your word is already anointed, but I pray that you would anoint my words, God, to speak your heart. Father, let our ears be open, let our minds be open, let our hearts be open to receive what you have for us today. May your son be lifted up in this message today. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and all God's people said, amen. My first point that I want to make to you this morning is this. Jesus Christ is the living word of God. Jesus Christ is the living word of God. You see, whenever the father speaks, he speaks of Jesus. He said, this is my beloved son and who I am well pleased. Hear him. John in chapter one referred to Jesus as the logos or the living word of God. And there is every connection between the Bible that you brought with you this morning to church with you and Jesus. There's every connection between the Bible that you hold in your hands and Jesus Christ. He is the full revelation of God. He's the full revelation of God. Listen to what John says in verse 18. He says, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. He is the word made flesh. You see, the Old Testament is about him. It's about Jesus. He is both the subject and the substance of Scripture. In the Old Testament, Jesus is the second Adam. Jesus is the root out of dry ground. Jesus is a priest like Aaron and Melchizedek. Jesus is the fulfillment of the offering of Isaac on Mount Moriah, the same mount as Mount Calvary where Jesus literally died. Jesus is the Passover lamb. Jesus is like the prophet unto Moses. Jesus is the water that came out of the rock in the wilderness. Jesus is the manna that fell from the sky. Jesus is the brazen serpent lifted up for the healing of the people. Jesus is the scapegoat bearing away their sin. Jesus is seen in the Ark of the Covenant. Jesus is the mercy seat where the Shekinah glory of God dwelled on top of the Ark of the Covenant. Jesus is the sacrifice upon the brazen altar. Jesus is a champion like Joshua. He's a king like David. Jesus is a wise counselor like Solomon. And Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is the fruitful branch and Jesus is the one who is altogether lovely. You see, he's the subject of Christophanes. He is foreshadowed many times, but a few times he makes an appearance. Now, a Christophany is what the Bible scholars consider to be a pre-incarnate manifestation, or you might say it in more layman's terms. He is an Old Testament appearance of Christ. In Genesis 14, he is a priest forever. After the order of Melchizedek, he has no father or mother, no beginning or end, and he resembles the son of God. In Genesis 32, Jake, uh, Jacob wrestled with the divine man, and he said, tell me your name. And the man said, why do you want to know my name? And he blessed him. And then Jacob said, I have seen God face to face. In Joshua, he is the captain of the Lord's host. And Daniel, he's the fourth man in the fire. And if you know the story, Nebuchadnezzar says the message, uh, the, the title of my message this morning, he looked in the fire. He said, who that? I put three of them boys in there and now there's fourth and one of, and, and one of them resembles the son of God. He said, who that? In the Old Testament, 
He is concealed, but in the New Testament, he is revealed. John's disciples said, who are you? Are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? The chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to ask Jesus who he was. They came back and said, no one has ever spoke the way this man does. We have never seen anything like him. The man who was born blind said after he had an encounter with Jesus, one thing I know, once I was blind, but now I see. And we know for a fact he had never seen anything like Jesus. Hello. (laughs) Pilate said, who exactly are you? Where do you come from? Are you the king of the Jews? You know that I have the power to release you and to crucify you. And Jesus told him, you have no power over me except what I allowed you to have. I ask you today, what manner of man is this that even the seas and the winds obey his commandments? Who that? <laughs> Touch your neighbor on the shoulder and say, who that? Now you gotta say it with some, with some spirit. Now who that? All right, there we go. Today in, in present day, Caesarea Philippi, it's a, it's a pleasant place in Israel. It's like a state park where families can go and come and have picnics together. But in Jesus's day, it was known for religion. The place was said to have been the birthplace of the Greek God, Pan. Herod and the, the great, or Herod the Great had built a temple there dedicated to worshiping Caesar. It was also a, an ancient Baal worship, uh, a place of ancient Baal worship. And it was in Caesarea Philippi that Jesus set himself against the background of the world's religions in all their splendor and glory, and he demanded to be compared to them. It was there where he asked the disciples the question, who do you say that I am? It was at that place that he asked them, who do you say that I am? Jesus is asking you today, who do you say that I am? Let me tell you, friend, it is very possible and easy for us to confuse our religion with him. It is very possible and very easy to confuse what we do for the church with serving him. It is very possible for us to confuse our theology with really truly knowing him. There's a lot of people in the world today that know about God, but they don't know him. It is possible for us to confuse desiring for our needs to be met with desiring for him. Let me tell you something. I don't just serve Jesus for what he can do for me. I serve him because of what he did for me. That was free. That wasn't even in my notes. That was good. Somebody better write that down. Well, he is the living word. God's word is a person and the Bible is his story. Charles Spurgeon said this for every text in scripture, there is a road to the metropolis of scriptures. That is Christ. And my dear brother, your business is when you get a text to say, now, what is the road to Christ? I have never yet found a text that has not got a road to Christ in it. What is he saying? That everything that you read in the Bible can be traced back to Jesus because it's his story. It's all about him. He is the living word. The word is a creative force. The word in your life is what will sustain you when everything else fails. Not only is Jesus the living word. Secondly, I want you to note that he is the alpha and the omega. The alpha and the omega. Sometimes people think of him as being only 2,000 years old. And and I, 
I think that's funny because when I was a little kid 28 years ago, he was, it was still 2000 years ago. So at least I know it's about 2028 years ago. So you can't say 2000 years ago, 28 years later, and it still be 2000 years ago. So I'm going to say at least 2028 years ago, but he is eternal. Before the beginning of time and space, Jesus already bore the title, the word. Before there was ever any creation, he was still the word. He was in the beginning because you notice that God said, let us make man. Now, God doesn't seem like the kind of fellow that would just sit around and talk to himself. He said, let us make man. He is not only the creator, but he is the object of creation. All things were created by him and for him. Through him, all things were made. And without him, nothing was made that has not been made. Wrap your mind around that. He watched as the angel fell from heaven or the angels fell from heaven onto earth. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from the sky. He watched in sorrow as the first man and woman disobeyed and brought sin and death upon all that he had created. He grieved as he saw those who had been created in his image and who, who he loved suffer and suffer the agonizing result of their sin. And he knew that he would ultimately pay the price for that sin. Isaiah saw it centuries before Christ ever even came on the scene. In what is known as the servant song of Isaiah 53, he says, The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of all of us. It was not so much the terrible torture of the cross that he endured as it was the sin of the world that was laid upon him. Friend, imagine with me for a moment your life and the amount of sin that you have committed in your lifetime. The sins that you are most ashamed of that you would want you would never want anybody to know. Now magnify that times anybody who has ever been on this earth or ever will be. Imagine the amount of sin that was laid upon him. He said in, when he was in the garden, he looked up and he said, Father, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Later on, we see Pilate ask the people, what will we do with Jesus? Let me tell you something, friend. He's asking the same question today. What will you do with him? What will you do with Jesus? And I'm going to say this. Last night I was going over this message and in my heart I felt like the Lord told me to say this. Sir, that's never been in this church before and you have never heard a message like this preached about Jesus Christ. He's asking you the question, what are you going to do with him today? I don't know who it is. I don't know who you are. But I'm telling you, he's asking you the question, what are you going to do with him today? You came to the right place today to meet the Savior of the world. What are you going to do with him today? Because the way that you regard Jesus is the way that you will live your life. The way that you regard Jesus and whoever you say that he is, is going to determine how you live your life. There is a very revealing passage in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13, 23 that tells us who Jesus is. Listen to this. If you want to flip there, flip there. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. Listen to what it says. God rescued us from dead end alleys and dark dungeons. He set us up in the kingdom of the son he loved so much. The son who got us out of the pit we were in. Got rid of the sins we were doomed to keep repeating. Christ holds it all together. 
verse 15, we look at this son and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at it, at this father and see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes and holds it together like the head does a body. Verse 18, he was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade. He is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there towering far above anything and everyone. Listen to this right here. So spacious is he, so roomy that everything of God finds its proper place in him without being crowded. Think about what I just said. So spacious is he, so roomy that everything of God finds its proper place in him without being crowded. We serve a big God, friend. Reading on. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms are properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies all because of his death. His blood that poured out from the cross. Friend, let me tell you something. His blood still saves. It still heals. It still delivers. It is still something, mom and daddy, that you can plead over your children so that the devil can't come messing with your kids. I'm telling you, the blood is still real today, friend. Then he follows it up with this. Verse 21. You yourselves are a case study of what he does. You yourself are a case study of what he does. What implications that has for the child of God. That Jesus can, not only can he, but he will fix and take the broken pieces of your life and fix them in vibrant harmony. Has anybody ever had the broken, their, the broken pieces of their life put back together by God Almighty? Held together by the blood of Jesus Christ? What is it that this morning that you brought with you that you have broken that you think cannot be fixed? Who have you let hurt you that you cannot forgive? What have you done that you cannot forget? Let me tell you something. Jesus can fix it. Jesus can take it and fix it. What the devil meant for bad, God can turn it around for his glory and for his good. He is the alpha. He is the omega. And he is everything in between. Without him, everything loses its value. So we see Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 16, verse 13. First of all, he asked them this. He said, who do people say that I am? Jesus is saying, who, who do people say that I am? And the disciples replied, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others and, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Then Jesus looked at him and said, now, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Friend, I'm telling you, it's one thing to know about God and be able to answer questions because you were in Bible quiz. But I'm telling you, it's another thing when you are asked that question, you can tell him because he lives in your heart. Because Jesus is everything that you live and that you breathe and he is the most important thing in your life. I'm telling you, friend, he's asking us the question today. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? 
Simon Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus tells him this flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. In other words, it's not so much a head knowledge of who Jesus is, but it's a heart knowledge of who he is. It's a heart revelation of who Jesus Christ is. You see, a few weeks or months before that, Peter had said to Jesus after they had had the miraculous catch of fish, depart from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. You see, when he got his sin problem settled, he recognized who Jesus was. When he got his sin problem settled in his life, he recognized who he was. It's hard to see who Jesus is through all the sin and the junk in your life. It's hard to see who Jesus is when you have yet to surrender things in your life that he know that you know that he is asking for. It's hard to understand who Jesus is when you refuse to give him everything that you are. He's asking the question today, who do you say that I am? Not only is he the Messiah, the son of God, the living word, not only is he the beginning and the end and everything in the in between. Lastly, he is both the son of man and the son of God. He is both the son of man and the son of God. Jesus was, was both God and man. He is the image of the invisible God. We've seen the God side of him, but he also has a human side. He was the son of man. He allowed himself to be born into the family of man. He came to the poor and he welcomed the rich. His birth gave hope to some and heartache to others. He was born a Jew, but he preached to the Gentiles. When he was 12 years old, he astonished the religious teachers with his knowledge and wisdom. He worked as a carpenter. Now the word translated, uh, the word carpenter translated means this, one who works with his hands or a builder. See, we think of Jesus as working in Joseph's little carpentry shop, building little tables and things. But in reality, where he grew up in Nazareth, there was not a whole lot of wood there. So a lot of people that believe that he could have been a stonemason and worked with stones, the houses there are made of stone. So you think about it, it was not anything uncommon for Jesus to walk upwards of 20 miles a day carrying around stones that he's getting off the side of these mountains. After being beaten, he carried the cross almost all the way to Calvary. He was actually, he carried the 90 piece cross beam that went across the cross because they never took the pole out of the ground or where they did the crucifixions. The point is, is that Jesus was a rugged man. Jesus was a rugged man. And let me say this. Dan Betzer, who is a phenomenal preacher and an author, has asked the question and answered it. He said this, why is it so hard to get men to come to church? It's because we've sissified Jesus. We've sissified him. In all the pictures that we see, he has long, damp hair and eyes that look like they belong to Bambi. That follow you around the church to creep you out. <laughs> you know, y'all know what I'm saying. You get up, you get up in the church by yourself at night and tell me Jesus isn't watching every move that you make. The old one where he's kind of standing like this, kind of throwing up the, the deuce, the, the peace sign to you. You ever seen that one? Got the little thing glowing on his head. It's scary. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> Oh, help us, Lord. But we have sissified Jesus. In all actuality, he was a rugged man. 
That's the, the pictures that we see of the, especially the blonde. I'm telling you, if you think Jesus had blonde hair, you are way off. <laughs> he wasn't Swedish. <laughs> he, that's not the image of Jesus. Jesus was a rugged man. He was probably pretty jacked up if he was working with stone all the time. That's not the Jesus that we read about in the Bible with the long hair and the bambi eyes. Even Pilate knew that he was the man because he said, behold, the man. He knew he was the man and men loved him. Why don't men love Jesus today? It's because we present an unbiblical, less than manly Christ to them. But I'm telling you, sir, listen to me. A real man is not afraid to love Jesus. A real man is not afraid to love Jesus. It takes a real man to love Jesus. It takes a real man to lead his family to Jesus. It takes a real man to live the life that's worthy of the call that he's placed upon you. It takes a man to love Jesus. It's okay to be a real man and love Jesus. Jesus is calling real men unto himself. We need real men in the church. And all the single ladies said, amen. The church needs real men. Jesus was a real man. His mother Mary was the vessel that God chose to bring about the title son of man. You see, Mary was the least likely to become the mother of Jesus. She was poor. She was young. All these qualities made her unsuitable in the eyes of the world to be used of God in such a way. Now, Joseph, the carpenter, he raised Jesus. Like Jesus, Joseph must have been a rugged man. Jesus was adopted by Joseph and and took on the characteristics of his earthly father. But Jesus also took on the characteristics of his father in heaven. He had an earthly mother and a heavenly father. But he is the son of God and the son of man. Listen to this right here. If you're asleep, wake up because this is getting real good. My friend, the late Reverend Haskell Grant from Malvern used to preach about the earthly and the heavenly side of Jesus. You see, on his mother's side, he said, I thirst. But on his father's side, he was the water of life given freely to all who would receive. On his mother's side, he got hungry. But on his father's side, he took a boy's lunch and fed 5,000 people. On his mother's side, he had no place to lay his head. But on his father's side, he owned the cattle of a thousand hills. On his mother's side, he wept, but on his father's side, he said, Lazarus, come forth, and he raised him from the dead. On his mother's side, his life began in a stable, but on his father's side, he was the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. On his mother's side, he came from the cobblestone streets of Nazareth, but on his father's side, he came from the streets of gold. On his mother's side, they said nothing good can come from Nazareth, but on his father's side, he was full of wisdom, grace and truth on his mother's side he was despised and he was rejected but on his father's side he is the king of kings and he is the lord of lords who do you say that jesus is today it's an important question it's how you will determine the rest of your life and i hurry to close worship team i want you to go ahead and make your way up he is the living word of god he is the alpha And the Omega, he is the son of man and the son of God. Who is he to you today? In closing, let me ask you this question. What are you going to do with the message that you've heard today? What are you going to do with the message that you've heard? 
First, you've got to answer the question, is Jesus your Messiah? Do you know him as the son of God? Have you been a reflection of him? There's an old song in the church called, let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. The word said, let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. All his wonderful passion and purity. O thou spirit divine, all my nature refine till the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. Friend, if we know who Jesus is, we'll start to look like him. When we begin to know and figure out who Jesus is, we'll start to look like him in everything that we say and everything that we do. We should be reflections of Jesus. So not only is he part and parcel of the Old Testament, he is also the subject and substance of the New Testament. The Gospels are all about Jesus. The epistles are about Jesus. The revelation is about Jesus. In Revelation chapter 5, we read about him once more. It said, And I saw the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or even to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and loose its seven seals. And I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne of the four living creatures, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then came and took the scroll out of the hand of him who sat on the throne because he alone is worthy to open the book. Then he says, I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power, riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all of that are in them. I heard saying blessing and honor, glory, and power to be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders bowed down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. Who do you say that Jesus is today? Let me tell you something. There's just power in mentioning the name of Jesus. It is the name that's above every name. It is the sweetest name that I know. At the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. At the mention of his name, darkness has to flee. All of hell begins to tremble because Jesus is the precious lamb of God. He is the righteous one. He is the bread of life. He is faithful and true. He is the good shepherd. He is the great high priest. He is the mighty warrior, but he is the prince of peace, our great deliverer, the pearl of great price. He is justice, but he is also peace, grace, and mercy. He is perfect in power in love and in purity. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the undefeated and undisputed champion of death, hell, and the grave. He is the soon coming king, and he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I wonder if you would stand up with me today and let's praise his name. Hallelujah. 
Come on, let's just worship him in this place. If you believe that Jesus is the all-powerful, all-knowing, the great one, the great I am, I want you just to worship him in this place. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you don't do anything else but just, but just say his name today. Say the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. There is power in that name. Hallelujah to your name, God. Hallelujah to your name, God. We worship you, Lord. We have lifted your son up in this place today, Father. We ask you to draw all men into yourself today. If you would, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes real quick.